Starting the abort sequence. No, you're kidding. No. Phoenix, hop by aborting to orbit. No, give me control. Give me control, I will get us down. My decision is final. Welcome back to For All Mankind, the official podcast. I'm Chris Marshall, a.k.a. Commander Danielle Poole. Each week, I sit down with the cast, crew, and show creators to discuss what just happened in this week's episode. This podcast will be jam-packed with spoilers. So if you haven't seen episode five of season three yet, press pause, go watch, and come back. Today, there is a lot to talk about. So I'll be sitting down with Coral Pena, who plays Leda Rosales, and Noah Harpster, who plays Bill Strausser. But first, let's do a quick recap. After last episode's disastrous rescue mission, the NASA and Soviet crews hold a joint funeral, setting up for an uneasy partnership. The silver lining? The two ships use the same fuel, which allows Sojourner to continue on to Mars. While most of the joint crew isn't exactly thrilled to work together, one pair really hits it off, Kelly and a cosmonaut named Alexei. Once the crew learns that they still have a chance in this race, the lovebirds celebrate with a little zero-gravity smooch. Back on Earth, the Soviets arrive in Texas to prepare for the joint operation with NASA. While Margot tries to find a way to keep Sergei safe, Leda discovers that the Soviet engine design is an identical match for NASA's. Let's just say, Margot is sweating. In the final moments of the episode, both Helios and Sojourner arrive in Mars orbit, but a dust storm complicates their plans to land. Ed decides to abort Helios's landing, but my character Danielle shoots her shot, and Sojourner is the first to land on Mars. Right as Danny is preparing to be the first human being to set foot on the surface, the Soviet commander runs out first, and we end up tumbling to the ground in a warm embrace. Marco, these expansion ratios match within 0.3%. Their LH2 drain coupling made it exactly with their inside two propellant hose. The odds of that being a coincidence are insane. What are you telling me? I should walk down there to Miskatish and throw a monkey wrench into a historic international space mission because of some measurements you took off a TV screen? Yeah, I would. Okay, so you guys, we have two delightful guests today. The first is just a little cuticans, Coral Pena, who plays Aleda Rosales. Hi, Coral. Hi. And then another little cuticans, Noah Harpster, who plays Bill Strausser. Hi, cutie. I really appreciate you calling me a cutican. Well, here's the thing about you two is that I know that our showrunners and writers are a couple of little thieves because what they do is they glom on to the things that they see happening in real life. And in real life, the two of you got on like a house on fire and then it just was like, okay, let's just write more story for these two people. So before we even dive into season three and episode five, just share with me your your little love affair with each other because it's so cute. We did hit it off pretty quickly. Yeah. I think coming into the show as sort of outsiders, <laughs> yeah. too, I think 
uh, the characters as outsiders, I think, sort of bonded us quickly. And then once you have a scene where you're like, hey, I peed my pants, and you're like, hey, I got shot, <laughs> and those things are the same, I, mean, I think, you know, you connect, you bond forever. <laughs> no, no, and I, cause, because when you do a scene like that, you're looking into someone's eyes. So we essentially spent a whole day staring into each other's eyes. So, yeah, that's a very bonding experience. Something I made a note of when I was watching the episodes leading up to our conversation today is Bill talks about when he makes the decision to move over to Helios that Karen calls him a get and that getting Bill Strausser, that's a real get. Talk more about that experience of feeling like, like you said, an outsider or feeling like, you know, day old bread. And for this moment, which is a professional decision, but really becomes a part of a personal decision of Bill feeling like something special. Yeah, I think it was a new moment. I think Bill, his entire career had felt less than, you know, I mm-hmm. think in, in, even in season one, there's this monologue about how astronauts get all the credit. And us engineers are sort of left behind. And I think this was a big moment for his character to feel like, oh, NASA has taken me for granted for all these years. And this is the moment where someone sees my actual worth. And, you know, that scene with Margot, Bill, you can see really doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to leave. He loves this place. He loves Margot. He, you know, he loves Aleda. But the truth is, is like he needs to go somewhere that is going to recognize how important he is. Mm-hmm. And talking about self-worth and the ways in which we are seeing certain people as valuable and certain people as not as valuable, I'm just reminded back to Aleda's monologue in season two when she talks about how the scars from her being shot make it so that she doesn't wear tank tops and she doesn't put herself in a space where she can be observed because there is some, I think, feelings of low worth because of her background and uh, and her experiences. Coral, tell me more about how that part of Aleda's story, her history and her upbringing, how it affects her today in NASA. I think the biggest reason that Aleda is so volatile in season two is simply that she doesn't have support. Mm. And what's really nice about Bill's presence in her life and what we what we don't see between season two and season three is that you can tell that Bill is Aleda's support. Mm. And then what what we add on to that in season three is that she now has a husband who understands her and her father who understands her and a child who she can pour all her love into. You know, she sees herself in this child and wants to not have that child have the life she had. And, and so it's really satisfying to play a character who has to like accept that maybe their survival mechanism isn't working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where is Aleda both, you know, literally where is she at the start of season three, but also emotionally where is she at the beginning of season three? I think Aleda is really happy at the beginning of season three. I think she has her work boo and that's Bill. <laughs> she has her house boo, and that's her husband. Mm-hmm. She has her dad. She has the perfect job. She has the perfect mentor. She's living a dream she really, at one point in her life, especially, didn't think she was allowed to have. And so, yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's where it lead us out. She's just happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But also not. I mean, if you think about it, like she's got this little kid who she's raising, who she's um, spending next to no time with. Her husband is feeling overwhelmed and unsatisfied. And, you know, her father's memory and health is beginning to decline. I mean, her work-life balance is all over the place. I don't think she's accepted that yet because she doesn't Mm. know, she doesn't have these models of what being an adult is supposed to look like. She didn't have her father around for a long time. Her mother has passed away. Margot doesn't have a family and that's her mentor. I don't want to put words into Noah's mouth, but I don't really think Bill has that much of a family. Well, this is funny. I'm going to jump in here because, you know, Bill had been wearing a wedding ring. (laughs) All of season one, and 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 this and is a little in, inside baseball here. And then you know the beginning uh, of season two, and then we got to that house to have this scene, <laughs> and I'm looking around at the pictures, and I'm looking around at the rooms, and I'm like, there has never nary ever a been a, nary a woman or a spouse of any kind has ever been in this home. This man is uh, living of and for himself. Uh, <laughs> just pictures. That was truly something we we were like, "Are you married?" And then he was like, "Wait a minute!" Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Maybe I should take this wedding ring off because th- this dude is <laughs> Did not you get married." Yeah, we had to build a whole. And then Matt and Ben and the writers—they're smart. They put a line in a couple episodes later about you know that yeah, my wife had left me and nice. But that was a uh, that was kind of an amazing moment when production design dictated story <laughs> I think <laughs> but but that's the thing that's like yeah. you know you're telling the story of course and you can make as much of a backstory as you want to and then there are some things that you see whether it's in a costume fitting or like you said you're on set and you see the art director has put up a, a painting or a family photo and it just dawns on you like I am being informed about this character who I've played for years and something brand new just struck me. For me, that was Danielle's Bible. You know, we see her use the Bible at the beginning of season two. Um, Her husband's just passed away and she's preparing to go into the outpost and tell Ed and Gordo that she wants to go back. She wants to go back up to Jamestown. And it was just a little blip in the script that she opens the Bible. She's looking for a scripture that's going to give her some encouragement. She closes it and she walks into the outpost. But when I was presented by the props department with a handful of Bibles, then it just dawned on me, like, Nothing is incidental. Nothing is coincidence. This is all so purposeful. And I got to choose Danny's Bible and decide, you know, what the binding looked like. And then from that point forward, I was like, I want this Bible on set with me every single day, no matter <laughs> what. If yeah. it's if I have a pocketbook, I want it in the purse. If I'm on Sojourner, I need it underneath my seat. Like I had it with me because it was her talisman. So what you're saying about art uh, informing Bill, that's true. What's funny with Aleda, Aleda has, and she wears it in every scene, every episode. You actually see it in episode three. Uh, Aleda's in the bedroom with her husband and they're getting ready for work. Mm. And she hands him a necklace to help her put on. Mm. Aleda never takes that off. It's actually a necklace with a picture of her mom. Mm. And so that's underneath all of my clothes. And sometimes you see it in, in the first season, actually, or second season, my first season, she always hit it. Aleda always hit it, except mm-hmm. for the scene where Margot approaches her in the trailer and she doesn't expect anyone to see her in that state. So she has it over her clothes. But in the, in the second season, it was always tucked in because I was like, Aleda would never show people that. Mm-hmm. And in the um, third season, it's out a lot. 
Um, and that was a, that was like a fun, just like reminder of just like the openness that I feel like has happened in Alita's life. But yeah, the little things, the costumes and stuff that make you go like, oh, this is this is who I'm playing. You know, it's it's fun. It's interesting to hear you say that that was your mom in that because I I was pretty sure that was picture of Bill. Just <laughs> oh, pretty sure it's on the other side. Yes, yeah, it's okay. a two sided coin. Right. It's a flipper. I mean, that's just I'm just I'm just saying that's you know. That's what Twitter says, anyway. There you go. Right, right, right. Um, this is, and now we're departing from the For All Mankind podcast, and I'm picking up the the mantle of um, Inside the Actor Studio. But my question <laughs> is, you know, why does that matter, right? Why does it matter that Danielle's Bible means something to Chris or that Aleda's photo never leaves her side and it's Coral's choice? Like, Noah, my question largely, I think, is for you because you're both an actor and also a show creator and a writer. When you don't write these things in, but actors find them along the way, why does it matter? If no one ever sees it, no one ever sees the Bible, never, no one ever sees the necklace, what difference does it make? Yeah, it's a good question. I think when you take on a role as an actor and, and, and as a writer, you're on some level um, surrendering to a story that's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Or t- uh, to a character who is bigger than you. And oftentimes that's just about finding the clues to help you attach, to help you understand what that person's going through. And you're trying to find some way to latch on to what it is that you have in common with this person, you know, this imaginary person. And I think that sure. generally when an actor finds one of those moments, they're right. <laughs> Actors are yeah. generally right because they're inhabiting a space that, you know, even as a writer or a director, you're only able to inhabit to a certain extent because you have so many other things going on. But mm-hmm. an actor, a great actor's only job is to live in that space. You know, I don't know your religious background at all, but in that moment, that Bible that you found, it's a way for you to make it real for you. And it's funny you say that because, yeah, I'm I'm not a religious person, but I, I grew up in a religious environment. And I think that there are certain things, um, I think the Bible being one, I think Shakespeare being another without sounding like a total actor. Um, but there <laughs> is like certain texts that you can't help but be shaken by, which brings me to the top of episode 305. There is a funeral. Maybe the first ever funeral in space. I, I'm not sure of every science fiction show out there, but it was pretty freaking cool. And so we shot the scene where they had sort of mummified these two corpses and then we sent them out the air chute. And much of it got nipped, but the original text was quotes from a um, Martin Luther King speech, which was just so beautiful. And it's again, these texts, whether it's Martin Luther King or from the Bible or what have you, that just feels alive. Noah, as a writer, talk to me about finding ways to get the words off the page. Obviously, you write it, but then there's something in it that has to have liftoff, there I go with my pun, for (laughs) your cast to then glom onto it and take it to the next level. Yeah, I think for me, when writing is really working, I'm writing as an actor, right? This is getting mm. a little inside actor studio again, but I'm writing mm-hmm. what does <laughs> sure. what does this character want? What are they trying to get? And what or who is preventing them from getting it? Whether that's, you know, the tornado or, you know, the bouncer blocking the door or whatever it is. You're just trying to <laughs> find a way, you're trying to put obstacles in front of intentions. 
And mm-hmm. so I think when when scenes for me take off, it's because the intentions, the, the objectives are very clear for these characters and the obstacles are very clear. I think it's one thing that's tricky, especially in writing and television, is that you grow to love these characters. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, it's your job to never give them what they want. <laughs> Sure. And then (laughs) kill them all off. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, even if you do give them what they want momentarily, you have to take something else away. You have to get Mm -hmm. in. So you're constantly in this cycle of uh, torturing the people you love. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, Noah, you said something earlier about how you feel like the, in some regard, the actor is always right. And one of my biggest takeaways from this season is that me as an actor— is not always right Mm -hmm. because I think, especially with the TV show, right, where you're getting episodes sometimes even two weeks in advance, you're getting Mm -hmm. scripts, I mean, you love your character so much, like Noah said, and you live in this bubble where you just want them to be happy Mm -hmm. and you want them to have a good little life and you want them to succeed because you're rooting for them. And you lose sense of the bigger story messaging sometimes. And so I think we all have sort of fallen into the trap of like, we just want our character to be happy. And the writer's like, that is not the best option. That's lousy that, television. That's the world's most boring <laughs> TV show is if everybody right, right. gets what they want. But right. there's a moment when Aleda gets something so lovely and fabulous that she never even dreamed was possible, which is she gets to go to the freaking moon. I know. Oh, it's funny. I was being so sarcastic with Matt and Ben, the showrunners, because they were like, and you get to go to the moon. I'm like, we've been going to the moon for 20 years, okay? <laughs> like, well, get to whatever, okay? But I have so many exciting photos because you put this suit on and it's so heavy and mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it. Mm-hmm. I was so happy to actually never do that again. Um, <laughs> I, it's so heavy. They had to make a child size because I am so small. And so I felt like this big Teletubby. But then you get there and it's like, it's amazing what they do with effects because you get there and it's actually really small, the mm-hmm. space that is the moon. Mm-hmm. But you're there and there's these cameras and then they have light that looks like it's the sun. Mm-hmm. And so then I was standing, I had the rock in my hand and I'm in the suit and there's cameras in front of me and there's all this setup. <laughs> and after all that, you know, me being this bully, I was actually like, oh no, this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Like, and you're this right. Is awesome. I mean, it is, the suits are incredibly heavy and then you've got to wear the underpinnings and you got to wear the cooling suit beneath it. And the, the whole operation is about 70 pounds, but it is. And once it's on, it's on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, no bathroom You can't breaks. take that off. Yeah. No bathroom breaks. You don't just get to like step into a suit and walk around like, oh, you're, this is, this is hard for you to have all that and then pretend to walk slower or whatever speed and then act is yeah. um, is impressive. And I started to just appreciate even more than I already did everyone's work on the show, especially mm-hmm. the people who are in suits. <laughs> you know, what's funny is people always ask me like, oh, what's it like to work with so-and-so? What's it like to work with this person? And if you're not on the show, you don't realize that some of us 
literally never work together at all because our worlds are on other planets. So I remember hearing from the mission control folks that the day that the sojourner makes it onto the Mars surface, that the room, tell me about that experience in the room because I wasn't there. I never got to see it. I only heard it from you guys. I mean, it was it was fun. It was fun on my end because mm-hmm. uh, NASA was feeling good. Um, right. It was fun. I think it was it was this really fun thing. We have so many background actors on mm-hmm. in Mission Control, and they really were just like everyone in the background just go nuts. And so um, there's a shot actually. I told I told the background around me, like congratulate me in whichever way you want, like mm-hmm. just for fun. And one person uh, came up to me and gave me this bear hug that genuinely (laughs) shocked me. Like, I didn't expect someone I don't know to hug me. And that's funny enough was the shot that they use of uh, me being hugged and me being sort of surprised by it and being like, oh, thank you. Um, And then afterwards, she was like, is that okay that I did that? I was like, that's the best thing that anyone has ever done. That was great. Like, you you killed it. But it was, yeah, it it was really fun on our end where we sort of, mission control can be so intense and really quiet and everyone's like working and pressing buttons and and it was nice for all of us midday to let off steam we were like sure have fun you know so um so that was good on our end it didn't look like it was so good on yeah you know what was that what was that day like shooting and you know even though we know that we're playing pretend it's still it affects you what was that like when you guys lost the race to mars yeah, it sucks. What do you want me to say? It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> sucked there. <laughs> yeah. uh, it sucked. You know, and I think it's, it goes back to what you were talking about, too. You're living in this character who's made these this, this decision to, to jump ship and to go to greener pastures. And in that moment, it's like not only did we fail as a team, but maybe, maybe I failed – uh, as a decision maker in my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's there's real personal stakes. Coral, so much of your work, and we're going to see even more of it as the season progresses, but so much of your work in this season is really about starting to unpack what the heck is going on with this nuclear engine design and what's going on with the, it's looking a little bit too familiar. Talk to me about the experience of having such a close relationship with Margot, really not just as a friend or a colleague, but almost as like a supplemental mother in some ways. You know, the relationship really does seem very familial. She's at your home and her kid runs up to her and calls her Tia Margot. What's it like for Aleda to begin to suss out that something in the milk isn't clean? I think it's no surprise that there might be spying happening mm-hmm. within NASA. I mm-hmm. mean, in in the first season, Aleda's father was accused of that. I mean, it's upsetting. It feels bizarre to know that someone might be watching you. But I don't think Aleda at that point yet knows sort of how intense this discovery actually is, mm-hmm. aside from like, okay, we just, you know, we, we talk to people and we'll figure it out in the end. Ren on set is very hard to read. And it's exciting to act with an actor like that because <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't know what's coming next. Margot is the same. Mm-hmm. And so it's why in that moment when Aleda says something is going on, why, 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 why would she even think, aside from the trust and the love she has for this person, mm-hmm. just in their ability to hold their cards close to, to their chest, there's no way that she could read Margot even if she wanted to. 
I think that's why Margot is exciting to someone like Aleda, who is very curious, because she can never read her. Stepping a bit back from Bill and Aleda and just talking to you guys as actors and as our friends, I want to hear from you, Noah, what are some of the things that excite you about the show? And what are the, some of the things that frustrate you about the show? If you can give yourself the sort of view from the moon looking down onto For All Mankind, what are your overall thoughts? Well, I think there's two things about the show that that really resonate with me. I think one is just how the show is structured. It's very hard to make a show like this today, which is a show that, despite it being this massive show that's revisionist history and about mm-hmm. space and NASA, it's really about people, and it's character-driven, and it's character-driven in such a way that the stakes stack on top of each other over the course mm. of the season— There's such a demand for television shows now to always end with a huge climax on every single episode. And when you get to the end of the season, you're a little numb from it. You're a little desensitized because everything Mm -hmm. has been a 10 all the time. And I think what this show does is it's a true slow build show that you're taking the time to get to know these characters. You're taking these time to fall in love with these characters. And by the time you get to episode six, seven, eight, not you are it's stacking all of the emotion all of the intensity is stacking upon itself so that by the time you get to the end of the season it's overwhelming it's a Mm. it's a true cathartic experience Mm. coral same question what are the things that you stepping back not just thinking about Aleda, but thinking about our whole entire world what are the things that you love and also things that maybe frustrate you or things you don't love I think critics really like our show, for example, because I think they recognize that the show is going for something sort of new and Mm -hmm. insane. And I appreciate being on a show like that where I feel like I have to trust the decisions they make on the show and for my character because I know Mm -hmm. that they're trying to go for it. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a part of a show that feels like they're making big choices, even if they don't always land I'd rather be a part of an ambitious show, a show that's doing something sort of scary, rather than a show that's going to do something that they know is always going to play. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, I really admire all the big swings we make on the show. And I'm always so amazed that they land, because they land. So as we draw to a close, I I love to ask this question partially because I was once a fan of The Bachelor, but also because (laughs) I think it helps to summarize the feeling. Coral, what is your rose and what is your thorn in this entire experience? Man, I mean, it's a gift to be able to play a character over several decades, Mm -hmm. over several landmark periods of a person's life. That doesn't happen. Mm -mm. That really, really doesn't happen. And I know how lucky I am. And that's a real, that's a real rose. Mm -hmm. Um, A thorn. I think, you know, I think Aleda is misunderstood. I think someone like Aleda becomes Aleda because I think people don't want to hear about the struggles of someone poor, of someone who's an immigrant, of someone who's homeless. And I think um, they don't want to hear it. They want them to disappear. And the second you are confronted with it, then they're mad at them for com- being confronted with it. And they go, well, why are you this way? Well, it's like, well, I'm this way because you made me this way. No, you're this way because you just need to suck it up. And, and sometimes I'm like, the bootstraps, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think what I, what I love about Aleda, but what can make me just sad, I guess, is that people 
don't give her and people like her the time of day. And so mm. I'm proud to be on a show that gives someone like that the time of day. Mm. And um, I just want more people to sort of be open to, to giving her, even in all her messiness, mm-hmm. the time of day. Excellent. Excellent answer. Noah, same question. I think my favorite, my rose, my favorite mm-hmm. part about the show, I think is uh, I'm a little in awe of how Matt and Ben and Ron have been able to create a family. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. people who never interact, like you said, they're literally on different planets. And they, I think, really surrender to these characters. And sometimes the thorn is that you have to say goodbye to them. Yeah. <laughs> I think is the way that they've given over to this show is they've built this family. And I mean, I mean, on screen and off screen. And I think when you have to say goodbye to Michael Dorman or Sarah Jones, it sucks. Sure. <laughs> it sucks. I mean, you know that like it makes the show great, but they've come to be part of your family and part of your community. And I think so I, I'm a little bit in awe of how they they are able to create that both on and off screen and how brave they are and able to rip it apart <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, when when the story demands it. And I'm just so grateful that that feeling translates, that that everybody feels good. It's important to me to work in an environment where folks feel appreciated and feel, um, feel like they have a place that they belong. Thank you both so much. You guys are amazing. I, I, I said what I said. <laughs> Couple of little cuticans. You guys are just great. I adore you both. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable and honest. Highly intelligent cuticans. Coral, Noah, both of you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of For All Mankind, the official podcast. Be sure to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts and watch For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus where available. And don't forget to join us again next week where we'll discuss episode six. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast produced by At Will Media. Executive produced by Will Malnati and me, Chris Marshall. Produced by Elliot Davis, Drew Beebe, Naila Andre, and Jenny Barish. Sound editing and mixing by Andrew Holzberger. Until next time, I'm Chris Marshall. Safe and sound, Earthside.